Greetings, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, March the 28th. It is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. And we also continue looking at Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 6. And Paul continues to drive point or drive home the point of this this idea of walking in Christ and what that means of putting throwing off and putting on throwing off and putting on this sanctification issue this this entering into the fullness of what uh, we can enter into uh, in a relationship with Christ and keeping it is another tough section of scripture so um, let me pray and then we will jump into this Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Reading Colossians chapter 3, 18 through verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 6. I'm reading from the NIV translation. It's in a little subtitle, Instructions for Christian Households. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance the Lord from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Furthermore, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Like I said, yet another tough passage of really living Christianly, so to speak. So how to live Christianly, if you will, is one of the great problems that we face as believers. And it's helpful to remember that the secret of a life in Christ can be put in into one sentence. And Paul actually does that in his letter to the church at Galatia, to in Galatians. And that is, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The root cause of the shame, weakness, and violence of the world is that we, men and women, are living in the lust and the desires of the flesh, fulfilling the urges that arise from within. But we're given a new basis to live on when a new basis to live on when we come into this relationship with Christ. The glory of the gospel is that we have been given a new life. Therefore, we do not have to live the way that the world lives anymore. We can, in Paul's words, put off the old and put on the new. And that's what he stresses in all of his letters, and notably so in this Colossian letter. A walk in the spirit is what he calls it. It is two steps repeated. Over and over and over, consisting of these two actions, putting off the old and putting on the new. 
in the section of the letter before us, beginning with verse 18 of chapter 3, Paul moves to the actual experiences that we face day to day. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, the blood, the sweat and tears of living. Here he starts to deal with our relationships, highlighting and examining what to put off and what to put on. And naturally, he begins at the very heart of all life. He starts right with the family. And here's the word addressed to wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Colossians 3.18. Interestingly, he is talking to women. He is talking to the wives. So gentlemen, he's not talking to us in this, in this verse. This word submit has become a focus of the, the feminist movement and is probably the most hated word among women today, or one of them. The meaning has been grossly distorted. Many wrong things have been done. Many horrible things have been done in the name of submission and in particular to women. Perhaps the first thing that needs to be said about submission is that it does not, it does not cancel out equality. Although it is addressed here to wives, it is not a female word in the Bible, but rather addressed to men as well. So on its own, it is not a sexist word. Everyone must submit to other people. In Ephesians, Paul says that Christians, men and women, are to submit one to another. The outstanding manifestation of true submission, of course, is seen in, the, in our Lord Jesus submitting of himself to the Father. No one would ever conceive of the idea that Jesus found it um, a reproach or found it insulting to submit to the Father. He delighted in it, he says. It was voluntary on his part. In no way did he regard it as a threat to the equality which he knew existed between himself and the Father and the Spirit. So to submit to someone does not mean that you are not equal. This is the confusing meaning which the world has poured into this word. Submission does not mean inequality. Literally, submission, literally, it means put yourself under, arrange yourself under someone for a good and proper purpose. It is a totally voluntary action. If we were in Australia, you would see street signs that say, give way, which is the Australian way of saying yield. And that thought is what Paul has in mind when he says that wives submitting to their husband is fitting. It's proper. It's, it's right. There is an order in all of God's world. The father observes it. The son observes it. Everything in nature observes it. There is a time to give way, to give in and support another. The great quality of this word is that it stresses the need to support. So if the wife does not support and hold up her husband, honor him and thus recognize him, there's chaos. So Paul's word to a wife is submit yourself to your husband, follow him, not in things that are wrong according to your conscience. We are not even expected to do that with regard to the state. But everything that is right, show yourselves to be behind your husband. Submit to him. Support him in his role of leadership. I would also add this word. This is addressed to women, to wives. It is not the husband's responsibility to make his wife submit. Husbands, wives submit to your husbands is not addressed to us. 
That is something Paul tells your wife to do. It is in the next verse that a God that God addresses us husbands without voluntary submission on her part. The word is useless. Submission cannot be demanded. The father did not demand it of the son. It is a voluntary submission, which wives are exhorted to make because it is fitting and proper. It is the right in the sight of God. It is done to the husbands. Doesn't say wives submit to men, to all men. So there's an indication that there's some choice there of whom you are submitting to women. You are submitting to your husband. So as I tell my daughter and any young woman that will listen, choose wisely. Paul follows with a word to husbands. Husbands, love your your wives and do not be harsh with them. Here again, we learn what to put on and what to take off. Put on love. Husbands are to work at this. The key to the husband's role in marriage is contained in Paul's words, love your wife. He must not give himself. He he must give himself to that. The word is is agapao, excuse me, that is God's word for love, honor, value, respect, guard, protect, show delight in your wife. This is something a husband is to plan for and work at. Not only on Valentine's Day or wedding anniversaries, but but all through the year as well. Because you see, I think Paul realizes and understands that in our sinful nature, the nature that we are born to, men will relationally get away with as little as possible. The thing to put off is harshness. It belongs to the old nature. Husbands are to not be caustic, bitter, resentful, or sarcastic toward their wives. These things are especially harmful and hurtful to women. Lord Byron said, man's love is of man's life, a thing apart. Tis woman's whole existence. Women are made differently than men. We can be sharp with a male friend. We can, he will shrug it off and, and not become upset by it perhaps. But if we do that with our wife, we cut her deeply far more than we may realize. So to put off these traits of criticism and sarcasm, they, they are to put them off. They're from the old life. As Christian husbands, we do not have to act that way anymore. If a husband says something sharp to his wife, it's very difficult for her to give him the support which the Lord is asking of her. And the third word here is addressed directly to children. It shows that in, in these early church meetings, whole families were present. I love that. I like that. Earlier, we dismissed our children So you parents have to carry Paul's word to them, so to speak. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The word obey comes from the Greek words, which means to hear under under someone. So thus, children are exhorted to listen to their parents, recognizing that they are over them and have authority in their lives. Again, the theme of authority is present. Parents should point out to their children that they can please the God of glory by their willing obedience to them. Why, why is that pleasing to God? Because it preserves peace in the home, for one thing. Further, because it teaches respect for all authority. God knows that, there is an, that this is an immensely important part of life and, and ought to be taught to children as they're growing up. To teach our children to obey is extremely important. Remember how the book of Proverbs puts it. The living, the living Bible states it this way. Young man, obey your father and your mother. Tie their instructions around your fingers so you won't forget. Take to heart all their advice. 
every day and all night long, every day and all night long, their counsel will lead you and save you from harm. When you wake up in the morning, let their instructions guide you into the new day. For their advice is a beam of light directed into the dark corners of your mind to warn you of danger and to give you a good life. Next, Paul gives us the other side of the coin in words addressed to fathers. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. The word for embitter is from the word to stir up, to arouse, irritate. It does not mean that parents are never to say or do anything that makes their children feel irritated. Discipline is often irritating, is it not? We must not seek to avoid every instance of that. But the word is given in the, in the present continuous tense. Really what he's saying is, fathers, do not keep on irritating your children. Don't keep hammering away at it, nagging them, or they will become discouraged. It's an important lesson for us fathers. There are three things which fathers do that particularly, particularly irritating to children. The first one is to ignore them. A father who has no time for his child soon creates in them deep-seated resentment. The child may not know how to articulate and explain the problem, but they feel unimportant and they feel worthless. A second source of irritation is to indulge, indulge our children. In other words, giving them everything that they want. They soon make, makes them restless. That makes them dissatisfied. Children long for guidance and direction, for intimacy, not superficial indul indulgence. Such indulgence like that will frequently create deep-seated, sometimes lifelong feeling of resentment. Insulating them, calling them names and putting them down is also a source of resentment in children. They become discouraged, and, and, and they're put off from the things of God. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. A lengthier section beginning verse 22 follows, uh, follows addressed to slaves and their masters. Representatives of, of each must also have been present during these early church services. It might have been, and it more likelihood was, the only place where slaves and masters got together on the same level, without racial national or class distinctions. Paul first addresses a word to slaves. Slaves, obey your masters in everything and do it not only with their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. These are words to Christian slaves. And at this time, one half of the inhabitants of the Roman Empire were slaves to the other. Most households had several slaves, so they formed a very important part of the economy of the empire. And this word exhorts slaves to personally control themselves and obey their masters. Not as many were tempted to do, but obey outwardly with a heart of resentment, but with genuine service as if they were doing it for the Lord. And Paul says, whatever we do, we're to work at it with, with all our heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since we know that we will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that we are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there's no favoritism. His appeal, of course, it's very clear. We are to work as unto the Lord. But more than that, as Paul suggests, there is a reward or a lack of reward involved. Here, here he is surely making reference to what scriptures call the judgment seat of Christ. The great time of appraisal when every believer will stand before the Lord and will give his judgment as to what, what, he's, what they've been doing in life. 
all that all that we uh, have been doing will pass before our eyes, and we will know whether it was it was done as unto the Lord or for our own glory. There will be reward for that which is done from a proper motive of thanksgiving and glory to God. And some may ask, what what is the reward? It, it's not material. It's not beautiful clothing, garments, gold medals. The reward of faithful service is always opportunity for greater service. The reward is to be allowed to demonstrate our love and even greater service. And that's why Jesus said that he, that that is why Jesus said that he that is as faithful is given rule over 10 cities, while another one who is less faithful is given rule over five cities. You see, opportunity for service is the reward. It is what our hearts will desire more than anything else on that day. On the other hand, Paul says, hey, there's no favoritism. If you do a sloppy job at work, you'll lose the opportunity for service and you'll be given a less valuable or less satisfying realm of labor in, in the eternal life. And all this is being settled now. That's what that is why Jesus could say he that is faithful in little shall be given authority over much. We have to keep that clearly in mind as we go about our work. On the other side are the apostles words to masters. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Employers, we should be concerned about how generously and justly they treat their workers. Again, it's all to be done in light of the great appraisal which is yet to come when hearts will be revealed. Here, here is revealed God's concern for justice and fairness. One of the, the commentators suggested that perhaps in, in those days of slavery, masters were being gently exhorted here to provide means by which slaves could build up a financial fund so that eventually they could buy their freedom. So in time, conditions and attitudes towards slavery would change and the practice would disappear from the empire. That, in fact, is what eventually happened. Without a violent overthrow, without revolution of any kind, the preaching and teaching of equality in Christ changed the atmosphere of the Roman Empire, and slaves at last were set free. Finally, there comes a paragraph of general counsel on Christian response to daily circumstances. How do we live today in a world given over to, to false values with much conflict with shame and and degrading practices how should we live then and here's what paul says devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that god may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of christ for which i am in chains pray that i may proclaim it clearly as i should it's verse two through four of chapter four you see prayer ought to be that central practice of our lives notice how paul puts it watch and pray. That, that brings to mind, right, the words of Jesus to Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, watch and pray lest you enter in temptation. They did not obey him but fell asleep, unaware of the danger they were in. And consequently, Peter would go on and deny the Lord Jesus. And James and John flee in the darkness like all the others and abandon the Lord. This word underscores the awareness that we live in a dangerous world. We are under subtle attack all of the time, and we ought to be aware of what this is doing to our lives, how it robs us of our joy, how it takes away our peace or restricts our love, changing us and making us dull and shallow in our reactions. 
And when we sense something lessening, uh, lessening spiritual vigor and vitality in our life, we have to pray that God will, will restore it. And not only pray for ourselves, but as Paul suggests here, pray for others too, because it opens the doors for those who, who are ministering. Paul's in prison, limited. He's in chains, and he's asking that God will set him free to proclaim this incredible message, the mystery of Christ. Earlier, we learned and we've repeated it week after week what that mystery is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the central message of the Christian faith. It's a new way to live. Jesus Christ in you. And by his grace and strength, we can we can be what we were created to be or what we were what we ought to be. This new creation. And that is what Paul wants freedom to declare. Christianity is indeed a revolutionary. It's a dangerous movement. The church is a dangerous body of people turned loose in this world. The church will challenge many things that are going on around us. And it ought to do that. We, we will find ourselves in trouble at times. And that is why we have to watch and pray. And yet further, we need to be sensitive, uh, to be wise in the way that we act towards non-believers, to make the most of every opportunity. That's the sensitive thing to do. Listen to the way that we talk. What do non-Christians think of the way we act? Here, Paul reminds us to be sensitive and wise in the way that we act, but to make the most of, of those opportunities because the days are evil. Opportunities for witness abound on every side. The final word is to be gracious. Yet again, to be thankful. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Graciousness means to be pleasant courteous, to be easy to live with. What we have to say may make people mad. It, it, but, but in the way that we say it, it's so important. Here Paul takes note of this. Saltiness is, is not pungent. It's not obscene phrases thrown into the conversation. Today we say that someone is salty because they, they use profane language, but that's not what's meant here. It means conversation that is flavored with attractive ideas so that listeners are stimulated. Their curiosity is aroused. So we have to apply all this to our own lives. Let us begin at home. And from there, we move out into all of life, putting off the old ways and putting on the new with Jesus in our hearts. The hope of glory, living graciously, sensitive, and salty lives. In closing, I want to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, reading from the ESV. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. 
and go in peace.